podcast. It's a podcast. Um, I am, in preparation for this podcast, I'm munching on some delicious Supreme Podcasting pizza. with Patrick and Pat. <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you going for an alliteration thing? Just trying. I was doing my best. Um, your, your name really threw me off there. But the reason I'm eating Supreme Pizza Tell me all about is it. because we're talking about the idea of Supremacy. Supremacy. And if you're confused, it's what the t-shirt mean? brand, yeah. No, I yeah, that's just supreme, I think. Oh. But the reason, <laughs> if you're confused, you're in the right place because we're gonna unpack that for you and talk about supremacy. What does that have to do with the church? Yeah. That's what I want. Basically, why is this podcast supreme to all other podcasts? That's exactly that's, that's exactly what we're gonna be talking about joe freaking rogan we're coming for you we're gonna take you down because we are supreme in the game of maybe not maybe not. we've already taken down all the haters and it's we've true. taken down all of the people who have tried to copy our idea which there are many by the day there are by many the day, more popping by up. the day many are saying it's a great idea so once we take over our turf and our title and our concept then we will Today, it's the other night at the dinner table podcast. Tomorrow, it's Joe Rogan. It's Joe Rogan. Well, the zenith was, of fun. What a fun intro we just did there. Well, that was so much fun. And this is not an endorsement for the Joe Rogan show. All, no, I, all I mean is he's usually charting. His podcast is usually charting for better or for worse. And so it's my it's our goal to be supreme to him. Who, who would you love to see do a podcast? If you could, if you know, a celebrity, someone else... Who do you think would just be, you know, set for the podcasting world? Who could make it? Um, that's a good question. I think that I feel like everyone's already done one. I think Michael Jordan would have a really fascinating podcast. Well, that's true. Did you see that uh, documentary about him? I did. The Last, the Dance? Last Dance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Worthwhile. I think. But also interesting is that the whole documentary is approved by him and no one else well, yeah it's, so it's, he uh, had the final say on it so that yeah. i think he'd be great with a podcast if he know? had a podcast it would be about how great he is <laughs> or how great he was that's what we should have done we should have done a podcast on how great michael jordan is he also makes more money <laughs> brushing his teeth than i do in like I five years i can't hear all of that i can't listen to that so oh. uh essentially you're in the right place you're not with michael jordan you're not with joe rogan you're with Don't Patrick tell Smith, <laughs> and you're at the dinner table so pull up a chair and let's talk about it. grab your favorite slice Get of into your pizza. asparagus, whatever you're eating for dinner tonight. What? Okay, asparagus. 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 <laughs> and uh, <laughs> welcome to the show, folks. It's going to be a fun one. All right, another episode, another uh, fun. Uh, news cycle has come and gone Oof. we've had some great amazing moments uh that we can all take the time to look back and and think fondly on our favorite news stories of the last uh month or so you know but yeah we're not gonna do that because no. uh that's, that's not what this is that's not what this that's is that's not what you're here for that's for non you know pandemic and and mass misinformation times what we're what we're here for uh is all those outrageous crazy stories that you're like, oh, there's no way that's true. And then you Google it 
and you still kind of think it's maybe not true, but they have some pictures, so it might be true. So in other words, you might even say that it's real. It's real fake, fake news. news. Welcome to our segment, everyone's favorite segment. Many people are saying, many are telling me. I've had grown men. I've had grown men come up to me with tears in their eyes, telling me. <laughs> Mr. President. They call me Mr. President. They oh. don't have to call me Mr. President. Is it the red hair? I don't know. It's interesting. They're, they're calling me Mr. President, saying that this is their favorite segment of this podcast, which they all listen to with the tears streaming down their face. Um, so I thought, you know, I thought I'd mix it up a little bit today. I thought we'd dive into um, a couple articles. Uh, now, again, if you missed the last segment, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read, you know, an article for Seth. Um, and what we're going to do this week is, is I want Seth to try and tell for me uh, what he thinks about this article. If he thinks it's a, an actual news story or if he thinks, you know, there's no way, there's no way this is true, right? So real um, or fake. Real or fake, pretty ah, much. So he's not seen these before. And this is a, this is a new... This is a new take. This is new a new take, take on where, it. I'm, so it's kind I'm, of a game. So those listening, you guys can try to play along. I'm play see testing if you can it. beat me at... We'll see, we'll see what happens. Real and fake. Pause news. now to decide... <laughs> this was real or fake yeah, there's no turning back from here folks so right, this, hit me, this first this first article seth i actually picked this one because it's from your home state oh, no. uh, this is from tallahassee florida oh no oh you'll love this um so i'm just gonna read part of it and then let you reflect on it a little bit okay, here so so seth in an effort to streamline the state of florida's electoral process florida republicans have introduced a new bill to the state legislature this past thursday that would establish ballotless voting in disenfranchised communities. And now this is a quote from co-sponsor, Representative Chris Spowles. He says, quote, We've eliminated the complex and insecure process of casting a ballot so that voters from under, uh, underserved communities don't have to worry about going to the polls or mailing anything in. Come voting day, voters will be able to walk right up to the doors of their polling place, then turn around. No lines, no worry. We've listened, we've listened to all of your concerns and are confident that ballotless voting will address them. At press time, Spouse added that the bill would also help fight voter fraud by eliminating the likelihood of votes being erroneously counted. There you go. Wait, so I have to guess if that's real or if fake? If it's real or fake, the Florida State Republican Legislature are introducing a bill that would establish ballotless voting in specific disenfranchised <laughs> communities. Okay. Wait, okay. Okay, so hold on. There's like several angles. If I know anything about the Florida State Republicans, it's that they don't care what disenfranchised people are or are That's the tough part. Yeah. So yeah. either Sounds this is crazy. either this is a ridiculous well, here, attempt at voter suppression or this is a ridiculous Here's, here's what I can do. I can help people. What what I'll do? I I've got 3 of these articles and one of them is is a real news story. Okay. So um I'm so going to say this is fake. You're, you're going to say that's fake. Yeah, you want to lock it in? I'm locking it in. Okay. Uh, I know well, you're my right. Home you're state. right. This yes! one is fake. This one is fake. Although they are actually introducing bills to uh, get rid of automatic voter registration, uh, make it quite a bit harder to vote. But. Oh, fun. All right. So the second story that I'm uh, wanting to bring up to you here, uh, you know, it's a bit, a bit of a different tack. It's, um, it doesn't take place in Florida, right? Oh, but it's, it's actually goodness. closer to home. It's, it's Chicago here right now. So, oh, fun. Um, this was this was from last month. Uh, a California man was arrested Saturday and accused of hiding 
in Chicago O'Hare's International Airport for three months. The man told police that COVID-19 had rendered him too scared to travel home to California, so he hid in the airport, surviving on food provided by strangers. He was spotted by United Airlines staff, 36-year-old Aditya Singh. Uh, he removed his mask and presented a badge, which he had stole from uh, an airport operator, uh, one of the employees at the airport. Um, so he faces felony charges of criminal oh, trespass for hiding in the airport for three months. Um, Cook County Judge Susanna Ortiz said, quote, uh, the court finds these facts and circumstances quite shocking for the alleged period of time that this occurred. Being in a secured part of the airport under a fake ID based on the need for airports to be absolutely secure, I find these alleged actions make him a clear and present danger to all of us in the community. Okay, so that's the second story. <laughs> that's the second story. That's crazy. Why don't you give me the third story? That way I can guess between the two which one I think oh, is Oh, you're cheating now. But, oh. but, if, I'm, but if it's real, then sure. I know okay. the third one's fake, okay. and it takes away the suspense. So this, um, this was from uh, this last week of February, um, and this didn't take place in a specific place, uh, but uh, the Associated Press uh, received a leak um, from... Uh, there's a it's a bit of a confusing trend to follow but there's um, there's an archivist who worked with uh, the Girl Scouts previously and they've been in the news quite a bit um, because they're um, uh, issuing I think even like some formal charges maybe against the Boy Scouts or now just the Scouts about uh, a number of the uh, they, they feel like you know encroaching on territory or something anyway I'm not that's not what this is about but there's actually um, a number of historical rejected uh, Girl Scout cookies that have uh, kind of made the rounds recently. Um, so I'll just give you a couple of them. There, they had sesame bites. So these are rejected. These, these Girl are Scout these cookies? are rejected Girl Scout cookies oh at one gosh. point or another. If it's not a thin mint, I don't know why anyone cares. Like that's what matters. Well, that's I mean that's probably why a lot of these that is dropped, the right? supreme. So, so the Girl big Scout one they're talking about, they had one called sesame bites. Okay. That was made almost entirely out of sesame, no. um, with sesame flour, and it had sesame seeds on top. Um, and that was, I think, obviously rejected because of the high number of sesame allergies among kids. Okay. Um, they had another one called Chocolate Dreams. This would have probably been in, I guess, the 50s. Um, uh, apparently tasted really good. It, it was like all chocolate and they had like little chocolate morsels in it. Um, but it also, it contained traces of lead. Um, oh, so those those were discontinued. But like unhealthy amounts of lead, or just I'm assuming I'm assuming probably <laughs> unhealthy okay. amounts of okay. lead. That's fair. Um, they also had a half chocolate and half vanilla cookie um, that was really popular in the 1950s, um, but especially uh, once segregation was ruled unconstitutional, oh, no. they kind of pushed back against that. No. Um, trying there. There's just there's so many here that are fascinating. Um, Okay, so my options are the guy in the Chicago airport. Yeah, a guy who hung out in an airport for three months because he was scared of going to his home because of COVID. And 
the discontinued Girl Scout cookie. List. They also okay, so they also had a, a ring shaped cookie meant to indicate like a purity ring. No, um, oh, okay, that's another. We're gonna talk about that in another episode. <laughs> that's gonna be no. Okay, I think the Chicago thing actually happened. You think the Chicago that's thing my actually final happened? Answer. That's your final answer. Yeah. All right. Well, so you got it right. I think I I went a little easy on you oh, this okay. first time around. Wow. Um, so those two fake articles are both from the Onion. Um, discontinued Girl Scout cookies and Florida GOP disenfranchising communities. Um, the other one is is actually from January. It's from NPR. Yeah. Um, and there's news stories about it in the Chicago Tribune as well. Yeah. So there's this guy. He just uh, he hid in a in a restricted staff section of the Chicago airport for three months wow. using an ID he found. I feel like I've spent a lot of time in airports. I yeah. Think you have as well. Though. Yeah. Quite a and... quite a bit of time kind of miss it now which is I, a strange thing to say i feel like that as weird as that is i think that's actually doable like everyone yeah. is so you know especially a larger airport where yeah, people are all people over are the place all the time so concerned about other things just getting in and on. out yeah i think you could easily just probably kind of exist yeah. and and the fact that he swiped a badge that's some that's some espionage stuff right yeah there, it was reported respect. missing in october wow. of 2020 wow yeah he well, just stayed in the airport. To those of you listening, did you get it right? You, you know, better. Think I hope about you did. Playing along. Hopefully, you got it right. You never doubt the Girl Scouts. They've only ever created beautiful, oh amazing gosh. cookies. Yeah. No Except for um, <laughs> what's that one kind? There's one that's super dry. Well, the toffee ones are like not great. They're 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 okay, but yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm also, not sure. um, another this is another episode, but. Girl Scout cookies are indentured servitude that profit off of children's labor. That's a conversation for another day, but that's they my taste opinion. They taste so good, yeah. in my opinion. Are you talking about their shortbread cookies? The short, the yes, the, yeah, yeah, the shortbread cookies. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, who, I didn't. I definitely didn't just Google <laughs> who buy. No, flavors. who buys the shortbread? Look, you cookies. always, you either always get the Samoas or you get the Thin Mints, yeah. right? Personally, I think there's no like their their peanut butter ones are good. Yeah, toffee tastic um, is okay. It's no toffee tastic is gluten free. That's why it's so dry. Yeah, and I was gluten free, so I respect that they have a gluten. But the option. shortbread, it's the just, shortbread it's just flour. It's just flour and just sugar. A bad you get the idea. thin mints, you throw them in the freezer for like two months, and then you eat oh them. Oh my god! Anyway, <laughs> do here not, we go. If you okay, legitimately, if you <laughs> buy shortbread grocery we're getting cookies, s- guys, guys, we're getting ser- like we're serious. We're so if you purchase here. those cookies, please. Tell me you exist, because I don't think anyone... We'll invite you on our podcast. You can be a guest and have a special segment to explain why the shortbread Girl Scout cookies are defensible, because they're not. Spoiler alert, they're not. Um, And that's the problem. You you probably can buy them on the website, and you're not funding individual troops. Individual troops don't make money off the cookies. The Girl Scout brand makes the money. Oh, I just... It's a whole thing. Yeah, I just want the cookies. All right, folks. I can buy Thin Mints inspired sneakers. Oh, this is beautiful. Who let sneakers. you on the Girl Scouts website? This is a bad idea. This is a bad I'm idea. I'm never leaving. <laughs> um, this has been Real Fake News. Thank you, Patrick. That was in I can buy Girl Scout cookie shorts. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. So just as we all uh, firmly believe that there are some Girl Scout cookies inherently better and more superior than others, I'm thinking those Thin Mints, I'm thinking those Samoas, yeah. uh, we're going to talk about the very flawed concept of uh, of supremacy from both a, a religious and a political and even a, a racial and ethnic perspective. Um, just just maybe give a couple examples of it in history and then talk about why on earth that's relevant for today. 
right? Because, you know, that's that's clearly not something that we have to dive into anymore, right? Uh, yeah, so there was my attempt at a fun transition from Girl Scout cookies to Christian supremacy. Yeah, no, I think I think you nailed it. I think it's perfectly appreciated. So, yeah, I um, a few weeks ago, I was listening to um, a theologian that I enjoy listening to. He's giving a lecture, and he asked a question that really got me thinking, and it led me yeah. down this really dark rabbit hole that has mm-hmm. now led to today's episode. So welcome. Love those dark rabbit welcome. holes. Welcome. You have now taken the blue pill. I don't remember which pill. The I red. Know. I think I, I, you've taken I, the correct pill. You're, you're exactly where you need pill. to be. Just sit back and enjoy <laughs> what you're about to experience. But the idea is that um, the question is, for a religious idea to be true or meaningful or even universal, mm. does it have to be superior? So the idea I wanted to talk about and kind of trace through a few different historical examples is the idea of superiority or supremacy. So Interesting. So okay. the idea of, of creating a sliding scale of which religion, which skin color, which ethnicity, which style of government, which gender is better and yeah. which is worse. I'm fascinated that you you specifically mentioned, you know, uh, like a religious level of superiority first, because I think um, not for everyone, certainly we'll, we'll talk about that for but for a wide uh, array of us, just, you know, folks, especially here in the U.S., um, other forms of supremacy, we, we tend to be able to like at least spot pretty easily or maybe mm-hmm. step away from. Um, we, we, we recognize that we've had difficult pasts with that. But I think there are maybe common assumptions about what we believe and what other people believe that, that rely on a level of, of religious superiority. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even a lot of people might say, yeah, it's good to have a level of religious superiority. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and so I yeah, think that's that's fascinating. The so a, a conversation that we've heard a lot in the past year, uh-huh. as there's been a lot of renewed conversation around racial justice, racial injustice. You know, people have used the term white supremacy a lot, and I think maybe a sure. helpful starting point is even thinking about that. So, I think, um, and I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth. There are people who have written extensively on this who are people of color that you should read and listen to. Sure. Period. Yeah. Um, but I think how how people might describe white supremacy. I think the misconception is that when you think of white supremacy, you think of people in white hoods burning crosses, right? You think of this very visceral, violent, um, you know, form that, that, you know, diametrically opposes whiteness and white skin color with everything else. And, ha- and uses violence to really make that point known, right? That's the traditional thing of white supremacy. Well, and, and that you know, and that's accurate for some groups, obviously, like the the Ku Klux Klan, yeah, right? and, and and similar. Yeah, and those are extreme examples. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think a nuanced definition of white supremacy that a lot of different thinkers have helped people understand mm-hmm. is white supremacy is not only that that is a part of it, but it's also the very culture that exists which. In even the smallest things, prefers whiteness to a different skin color, different hmm. ethnicity. So yeah. an example that I've heard used is like band-aids. You know, band-aids sure. are yeah. assumed to be the default skin color to blend in your skin. Well, they're colored white. So if you're not a white person, band-aids are not. 
designed for you, right? And when you use one, if you want to use one, you're sent a clear message that the world that you exist in was not really designed for you. It was designed for somebody else. You've got, you know, quote unquote, those normal colored band-aids and then yeah. they're making, you know, other other hues of band-aids, right? But yeah. but it's always Which even that it's is always a the new norm. It's the norm yeah. versus sure, but it, but yeah. even that is a norm versus what is seen as not normal, right? Yes. Or or not not the most commonly accepted mm-hmm. theme. Yeah, right? it's the preferential yeah, um, yeah the, the preferential treatment and belief that there is a norm and there is a deviant, right? Hmm. And that, mm-hmm. so that's that's kind of an idea. And so that idea okay. of supremacy, that's a, that's white supremacy. But let's take a step even back from that and think about the idea of supremacy. The idea of supremacy means that there is a sliding scale of value of being. There is a sliding scale of um, existence, even an authority, an authority, of, in that of there truth even. there yeah. there are, you know, different people or different belief systems that have inherently greater value than others and there is a norm and there is a deviant right Mm, so mm -hmm. so just kind of that idea just to start there sure now to unpack that a little bit i want to look at some of the history of the united states and specifically what um scholars might call christian supremacy in the united states okay so there's a book um by a woman named janine hill fletcher and it's called The Sin of White Supremacy, Christianity, Racism, and Religious Diversity in America. Mm-hmm. And she does a great job of just kind of unpacking some of these realities. So I want to quote a few things from her and kind of help us wrap our minds around this. So yeah. she talks first about um, in the 17th century, you know, uh, Europeans, so specifically Spaniards, came to the state of Florida, my home state, right? Mm-hmm. Which I am a transplant, right? I'm not a I'm not a native person to Florida, but my you know I have European ancestors that somehow existed in the state of Florida. Sure. But those those first Europeans that came into contact with the natives, um, they named they called them red, right? The, they called them red people because they wore red paint in a specific religious ceremony. So it was kind of this okay, stereotype. Interesting. Yeah. It was this label is okay. This is a red people group and we do we, you know we don't use that terminology anymore that's it's, offensive it's <laughs> deeply offensive yeah and um but even just from the beginning right the the idea of you are given a label of an other we are mm-hmm. white you are red we exist on a higher plane of his existence than you do that and was it's, the and first it's this immediate and it's this immediate identifier of you know difference of skin tone which must inherently somehow equate to um cultural superiority mm-hmm. uh superior superior intelligence often yep. uh for a lot of those early settlers yeah um when those i mean those are pretty huge logical jumps to be making so so yep. it's evident even before that i mean those were assumptions not just europeans but uh, you know a lot of other cultures were making based entirely on uh you know personal bias right yeah it's uh yep exactly and um and even connecting that with what we talked about when we had our friend Sarah on the show talking mm-hmm. about, you know, there's one in, in 21st century America, right? We use the term Muslim to to describe a lot of times more a racial identity than a religious sure. one. Yeah. So we think about, you it's know, Trump's quote unquote Muslim ban. Like, I mean, that there's just so many things that are just so inherently wrong with even thinking about it that way. Yeah. And, and once again, that's labeling other people and putting them on a sliding scale that puts you at the top and them mm-hmm. at the bottom mm-hmm. or on a different peg below you. So just that initial idea, that's kind of what a lot of our thought in the West is built on. Let me kind of share that 
go deeper into that. Yeah. So another example is um, when the United States was being uh, colonized by Europeans, right? It was mm-hmm. it was the idea to be established as this white Christian nation, right? It was sure. these folks with white skin who were going to quote unquote, um, you know, settle this land. They were conquerors. They were pioneers. They were going to take this land and, and take it as their own, quote unquote, tame it, regardless yeah. of who was there to begin with. Sure. So that's kind of where we see this emergence of Christian supremacy. And the Catholic Church at, at that point, point yeah. yeah, yeah, the Catholic Church at that point um, really blessed the idea of Spain and Portugal going into the quote-unquote new world. Um, mm-hmm. And even, you know, when we had the episode about the different theologies of religion, which this is kind of a functional sequel to, I would say. Sure, yeah. Um, we talked about that, that major decision in the Second Vatican Council where the Catholic Church determined that they amended their idea that there's no salvation outside the church. But that was the 1960s. So any period of history before the 1960s with the <laughs> Catholic Church, their fundamental stance is that there is no salvation outside of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, yeah. 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 And so when they're sending you know, Catholic missionaries and Catholic conquistadors to go and take these places, it's the fundamental idea that we have the supreme understanding of religion and culture. and We are going to... And therefore, we have the ultimate authority to do whatever yes. we deem necessary uh, to spread it, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, Often very brutally. And even the you know the conquistadors who were there looking for gold, um, mm-hmm. and even that even goes back further to um, that the phrase "no salvation outside the church" was also a phrase used in the Crusades. It was used as kind of a banner rally okay. cry in yeah. the Crusades. Yeah. Um, as the so idea, back a couple more hundred years. There. Yeah, yeah, as the idea that, um, you know, that we're w- if we're bringing war, if we're bringing conquest to this Muslim people group, and we're t- we're taking this land from them, we're doing it because we are giving salvation to this place, and we're reclaiming it for our supreme cultural way of life and religious understanding. So it's almost, I mean, with that example, and then the example of the the conquistadors as well, it, it's almost using this concept of christian supremacy as an excuse right not 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 necessarily that they didn't believe it but right like this was the justification for uh colonial expansion for territorial invasion right um yeah oh that's it's interesting that you you kind of tie those two historical events together as well yeah yeah and that even connects as well that idea you know to christopher columbus who Uh huh was Uh in a lot of ways, sanctioned and ordained by the Catholic Church to yep. bring the faith to these people, right? Yeah. And um, and he, you know, in his journals and stuff, quotes scripture and views, he viewed himself as fulfilling scripture in taking this promised land, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the idea mm-hmm. of a lot. So when you look at, that's how this nation was started. The origin of this nation was people who held white and Christian supremacist beliefs you know, thinking that is their job to propagate this and mm-hmm. to, to take it to this new world, right? Mm-hmm. That's the foundation of this country. And, you know, people can argue about that. You can, I'm sure there's plenty of rebuttals. You can say, no, it was actually about religious freedom and blah, blah, blah. And, and to a certain extent. To a certain extent I mean, it was. Yeah, yeah it was prompted for, for by that. specific groups of folks, yeah. right? But, um, but the colonial effort, which saw a lot of the original, you know, establishment of this American country as we know it today, yeah. that was a fundamentally white and Christian supremacist and, effort. Well, and, and even those religious 
persecuted groups weren't necessarily exempt from it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the um, religious minorities that fled to the United States, uh, I'm thinking of the Anabaptists, I'm thinking of, you know, commonly the, the, uh, the Puritans, right? They were still very much a part of that culture, um, that, but, but it was the theological difference rather than the, the cultural or the racial difference. Yeah. Right, that allowed them to still settle there, to still have a place in this new um, land that was meant to be a white land from the beginning, right? Yep. Um, um, yeah, I want to quote um, the author I mentioned, uh, Janine Hill Fletcher, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and she says, speaking of um, of this idea, she says, guided by an unshakable hermeneutic of providence and a prior theological and a priority of theological certainties. Um, you know, the, the systematic theology uh, created a tight system into which the native peoples were fit and figured to be less than the Christian ideal. Similarly, hmm. in the preserved debates between uh, Bartholomew de la Casas and the scholarly and legal community in Europe, we can see that it was the most skilled of theologians and scholars who shaped Christian thought and practices of domination and destruction of indigenous ways. While disagreeing on the humanity of indigenous inhabitants, all sides in the debate agreed that God's plan included a Christian destiny for all people. This made Christians better representatives of God will than, God's will than any other people they might encounter. So there's this kind Dang. of debate going on, but like, whoa, yeah, think about yeah. that for a second. It's the idea that some people argued, are these native people in this new world human or are they not? They didn't agree on that, <laughs> which that tells you everything you know to begin with. Yeah. But they didn't even agree on that, but what they did agree on is that, well, God has a plan for all people, and so it is our job to... And since we're Christians, yeah. we must have, you know, the authority, the supremacy... Yes. ...to do as we will. Uh, and and that's another example of the idea of Christian supremacy, white supremacy, um, Eurocentric supremacy, hmm. you might call it, being a foundational characteristic of the United States. And then... Obviously, there's been lots of um, well-thought-out and very clear historical and theological uh, accounts of you know slavery, right? And the, sure, the church's sure. complicity in that and sustaining yep. of that system. Mm -hmm. So that's, once again, you should read about that in other places um, mm -hmm. and be happy to share recommendations with you. Um, or if you have recommend recommendations for me, that'd be great as yep. well. Um, but one of the things I wanted to think about is, uh, moving forward a little bit, in the 19th century United States, mm -hmm. um, there's a bishop in Catholic Church in Louisiana who defended slavery on Christian grounds, seeing, quote, slavery as an eminently Christian work in which the redemption of millions of human beings who would pass in such a way from the darkest intellectual night to the sweet light of the gospel. Mm. So, dang. That, I mean, that's self explanatory That's a bishop, a, a leader within well, the Catholic you're, Church you're, in the 1800s. You're justifying the exploitation and the enslavement and the dehumanization of, of millions of, of humans on the grounds that, well, they must have been inferior in, in you know, their homeland. Mm -hmm. And uh, because we're Christians and because we're white Christians, mm -hmm. we're just going to make them better by virtue of being around them. I mean, it's... Yeah. Oh, I mean, looking at it now, looking at it with the lens we have now, yeah. it's infuriating, right, to see scripture twisted in that manner yeah um but the reality is that was a very common opinion mm -hmm. for a very long time that was the, the dominant that was the yeah. dominant opinion and there were you know a lot of christian abolitionists who were speaking out against that but the vast majority of 
white Christians you yeah. know, had that same yeah. view that that bishop, um, August Martin of Louisiana had. So, so um, I mean, my question is, so, so where does this concept come from? Like, so we talk about the sliding scale mm-hmm. uh, of race. How did that bleed into like how he's talking about it on the grounds of, of religion as well? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly the the question to kind of think about and where it takes our sure. conversation is um, the idea of a sliding scale of humanness, right, mm-hmm. or a value based on religious or cultural identity. Um, a lot of that comes from what we call the Enlightenment, which is you know a period of history in Western, so European and United States white people <laughs> thinking basically. <laughs> Where you know there's a reemergence of fascination with Greek philosophy, and sure. um, and kind of and a lot of the things that we take for granted as far as how we view the world, how we view heaven and hell, how we view religion, how we sure. view how, culture, science, even. science, yeah. all come uh-huh. from that Enlightenment period. That. It was this renaissance in a way yeah. of both a lot of negative and harmful ideas, and a few that were more positive and, and brought about some you know it, some things that. Um, that brought positive changes scientifically to life for people. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's just kind of this, uh, what what um, Hill would call merging of science, philosophy, and religious myth. And one of the major voices in this is the philosopher many folks have probably heard of, Immanuel Kant, K-A-N-T. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that he proposed in his writings and in his work that helped influence the Enlightenment, which once again talked about the the historical foundations this is kind of the philosophical foundations of our western society as we know it Mm -hmm. and and he um kind of the the way once again that the author puts it he rested his case so to speak uh, and their criteria of enlightenment thought in the university setting and what the other calls theologic so the god-related you know way of thinking Mm -hmm. of white christian supremacy was undeniable in kant's Mm -hmm. work so he Dang. he did believe that there was a single origin for humanity. So that's something that you know both interesting. Okay, both Christians and more um, at that point more maybe humanist evolutionists yeah. agreed on. Right, is that sure. we all come from one similar ancestor, whether that's an ancestor that involved evolved over billions of years, or whether that sure. was a literal Adam and Eve existing in the Garden of Eden. We yeah. all come from one place. Well, Kant, I mean, Kant was pretty clear about his his faith. I think he probably would have for his time taken the the story of adam and, and eve quite literally yeah I and mean, he that's, did that's yeah. speculation but I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying that yeah so yeah. he viewed okay he viewed that there's a single origin for humanity mm-hmm. identified with adam and eve from the genesis stories that yeah. was his okay. worldview right yep and and yet he then kind of established in his work a reli- a, a kind of religious based racial approach in which he created kind of four major tiers of human beings and how they're classified. So the first obviously being the white race, um, the second being the black race, uh, third mm-hmm. is what he called the Hun race or the Mongol which is race, which is awful. Yeah. Also not something you should ever call. So a human I mean, being. is he just referring to to the Asian population of the world? What, I yeah. Mean, what's, yeah, he's reviewing... Which is a mass, like a huge spread of, exactly. of different ethnicities. At yeah. that point, he's referring to, I, I believe, pretty much anyone that is in Asia. Asia, as we would know, minus okay. India. Okay, So okay. all of those different countries and cultures. You know, uh-huh. that's, that's a third Hun race, uh-huh. you would call it. 
And the fourth is the Hindu or the Hindustani race, which I believe I have more connections with about India, India specifically. Subcontinent. Okay, interesting. Um, and <laughs> so, you know, he believed that all humanity shares a common origin, mm-hmm. but it is the white race that he assessed as having developed closest to the original perfection of Adam and Eve. And you think about, well, you think about, like, the Enlightenment as as looking back to this period of utopia, of Greek philosophical thought, and of medieval religion, you know, Adam and Eve are always depicted as white people, right? Because they were painted in, in all these ways, codified sure. yeah. by white people in Europe. Interesting. And so his, his idea was that, you know, white people are the closest to this original ideal, and others fall somewhere else on the That's scale. That's a fascinating way to step around, you know, the, the universal humanity espoused in the in the bible right this belief that you know we all are meant to love one another we're not meant to have enemies we're meant to all stand together united and that we come from the same place and we come from the same place yeah and kant's saying oh yeah that's true oh yeah everyone's a child of god Mm -hmm. but white people are closer Mm -hmm. to the original intent of humanity somehow yep and I'm saying this, I guess, because he's a white person. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's oh, very, man. it's very convenient. It's for real him convenient for him and yeah. for the you know hundreds and millions of people that you know built a society on these ideas. Sure, the society that we exist in now. Um, and so, essentially, you know, is the idea that the white race is the closest to the development of perfection that mm. exceeds all other races. And so he kind of took the idea of Christian myth. And emerged it with kind of this pseudo race science that was emerging at the time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and 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 also connects Adam and Eve to the white race to Jesus Christ, and he quoted and said the perfect world order in which the ideal of the unity of the human species actualizes itself in the perfection of a race type, the white race. <laughs> so not only is that a religious thing, that also comes from you know kind of this ant- antiquated view of evolution where sure. you know there is an evolved human and people believed other races quote unquote were not as human were in different scales of, of evolution and the white uh, race was at the top uh, right yeah so that's enlightenment and literally most of the things that we as you know American people American Christians especially but Americans a lot of things that we take for granted the culture that upholds our society is built on the enlightenment well even our, even our political systems were based on this yep. right uh the the founding fathers were all very well read in in, in folks like kant and other mm-hmm. contemporaries um and intentionally built a system that was democratic for those that they considered superior in society right they recognized the value of multiple voices but you know, only initially for white male landowners, and then we decided to expand the superiority concept, right, to all white men, and then mm-hmm. eventually, you know, well over uh, a couple hundred years uh, to to women, right, and then and then to people who weren't white. But but it it's still uh, the the system itself that we still use that we consider you know the greatest system of governance was again based on this inherent system not just of um societal supremacy but Mm -hmm. you know religious and racial supremacy white supremacy yeah yep um exactly yeah white to to say that something is is you know grounded in white supremacy doesn't just mean you know it came from the kkk it came from uh uh, the confederacy right Mm -hmm. to say that it comes from white supremacy is is literally just that right it came from a concept that um, people of the white race, that Europeans tended to be superior, right? It, it's mm. it's it's unfortunate that there's a whole lot within 
not just our religion, but also you know our, our governance and our politics. That that while not explicitly that anymore, it, a lot of the the little systems are still based off of that concept. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And and the truth is that um, you know almost all of my friends that are not white would would totally shake their head and just be like, yeah, duh. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. the world that they live in every day. Sure. And so, um, yeah. but I think to look at the roots of this, where we got this and how it ties into religion is interesting and important to understand. <laughs> and even, you know, um, this author also mentions um, even the Catholic Church, how it's structured. So the idea that there are bishops, then there's the Pope, and the mm. Pope is the, end, you know, the successor to Peter, who was closest to Christ. Emissary of God. And yeah. so, you know, it's not that the Pope is divine, but the Pope has a special relationship to the divine and has a higher value than others. So even the idea of a hierarchical system of religion, which most religions ascribe to, uh-huh. has elements of supremacy that have then been twisted and used to kind of build this society that, we, hmm. that, I'm, that we're talking about mm-hmm. here. Um, and I think, you know, that Second Vatican Council in the 60s really called into question a lot of those things. But in, sure. in no way did the Catholic Church changing their posture on that, or other Christians that aren't Catholic changing their posture on that, automatically fix a lot of those systemic things or change. No, and, change and a lot of the actions they were they were taking part of and, and, and leading still took place after Vatican II, right? I, I mean, you have many examples of of Catholic churches, especially in South America, being fully supportive of. Um, uh, dictatorial, dictatorial, and often you know racist um, regimes. Uh, so, so yeah. Well, Vatican II, I, I agree. It was it was a a significant marker uh, within the Catholic Church. It, it didn't solve all those issues, mm-hmm. right? It didn't didn't make it all disappear, right? Yeah, it's a bit more complicated. Um, and yeah, and and to close up what um, Fletcher is saying. And, you know, I would encourage you to, to find that book. It's really interesting. But And what she says, she kind of connects this to today, the idea of Islamophobia, right? Mm. Um, it, and that's part of our reality today is we just have a level of accepted Islamophobia. Yeah. And this, she says the systems of symbolic capital fuel that reality. So the whole system of capital that we've built post-Enlightenment really fuels that reality of if it's not white and it's not Christian, it is an other. And so we talk mm. about, I mean, this is a whole other soapbox. We talk about religious freedom, right? And we talk about, you sure. know, if this candidate wins, we are going to have our religious freedom jeopardized. If this candidate doesn't win, then we get to have our religious freedom. And I'm voting for this person because I want to have religious freedom. Well, sure. Religious freedom for who? Well, it's it's <laughs> often purely self-centered, right? I think for yeah. a lot of folks that prioritize that, not, not across the board. Yeah, if we want actual religious freedom, that, yeah. right? Then, then that should be across the board. And right now, in the governmental systems, it's clearly not. No. Yeah. And, and you know, just refer back to her episode, like I mentioned with Sarah, like her experience as one person in a community that is two billion people across the world, mm-hmm. but even the, the the millions of Muslims that are here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Ask them about their lived ex- lived experience. Yeah. And. You thought it was the end. It's not. This is a two-part episode, so we left it with a cliffhanger, but check for episode two. It will be out soon and complete the conversation about supremacy. Thanks for listening.